I want to begin with the way I always begin on these Sunday nights. I want to welcome everyone to Athlete 911 Sunday Night Clinics. We are a forum of positive, honest exchanges for the betterment of Athlete 911 players and families. And with the Masters of Baseball, our agenda is to help players all over the country, world, in today's youth baseball environment. As I do every week, this conversation is positive information to help you. There's no agenda here, but a talk to help players and families grow in our great game. This form of baseball talk and sharing philosophies and beliefs is for you, the player, the family member, youth, high school, and college coach. A forum for all of us to grow as people and coaches and as mentors. Tonight, as you guys have seen me blast all over our Twitter sites, we are lucky enough to have the president of baseball operations for the Kansas City Royals baseball team, Dayton Moore. He earned this promotion after holding the position of general manager from 2006 to 2021. Dayton's baseball career began as an assistant coach at George Mason University. He transitioned to pro baseball after being hired by the Atlanta Braves. In the Braves organization, Moore worked in a team's scouting department and was later promoted to the baseball operations director. In 2006, Dayton was hired by the Kansas City Royals to fill a vacancy in their general in their general manager's position, replacing another really good baseball guy named Allard Baird. Moore was the Royals' general manager during the team's 2014 American League Championship, and he was the GM of their World Series champion team in 2015. Moore's trade of Zach Greinke is considered to have provided the foundation of the Royals' run at success, and both Kane and Escobar became important contributors for the Royals. Another Dayton trade, this one sending Will Myers and several other players to the Tampa Bay Rays for James Shields and Wade Davis in 2012, provided important pieces for the Royals' two World Series teams. Now, Athlete 911 Baseball and Masters of Baseball proudly welcome Dayton Moore to our clinic. Hello, Dayton. Hey, Butch. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I appreciate you being here. Well, it's it's great to be with you and and um, you know so many listeners tonight, and uh, hopefully we can just have a great baseball conversation. And you know, I can share you know many of the things that I've learned you know through the years from great mentors. That in fact, both of us have had some of the the same mentors, and um, that's what it's that's what it's all about. And that's the beauty of our game is just uh, sharing information and encouraging one another because it's without a doubt the greatest game in the world. There is no doubt about that. Dayton, let me, the first question I want to ask you and I want you to talk about with our, you know, with our families and our kids and the coaches that we have that come to this, this talk. Can you talk about being the general manager of the Royals and what is your, what was your role and responsibility in this position before you just got promoted? You know, Butch, the truth of the matter is, and, and maybe it's it's a little different than, than a lot of people might think, um, you know, I've always viewed, you know, our role as a general manager, my role as a general manager, just to simply uphold the integrity of the game um, and try to do this job so well uh, with uh, so much class and integrity that uh, our owner and future owners uh, can look at this position and, and say, you know what, uh, this is a, a position we must have because uh, the individual sitting in that chair represents uh, our game, our community, uh, our city uh, so well uh, through the game of baseball and uh, keeps it in the right perspective and is constantly looking for ways to grow the game of baseball and softball uh, in this community uh, in our region, uh, make sure that uh, you're protecting it in ways uh, so the future generations can enjoy it. And, and that means uh, sometimes, uh, you know, making some really, really hard choices uh, with regard to, you know, the integrity. And, and um, you know, we've had some things happen in our game 
over the last six to eight years, as we all know, um, that we're not proud of. We've we've had issues with um, general managers getting suspended, uh, lifetime suspensions, uh, uh, suspension for a year, suspension for months. We've had managers suspended for a year. We've had scouting directors um, that have been incarcerated for cheating. And, and so, um, you know, I've always viewed this role as just to make sure that we're doing things the absolute right way. Uh, again, upholding the integrity of the game and, and making sure that uh, future generations get to enjoy this game and, uh, and, and protect it. And so that's really been uh, the role that uh, I've found to be the most important, the most influential. Now, that being said, you know, there's a, you know, you, you, the best thing about this job is um, I get an opportunity to work with terrific baseball people and provide opportunities, you know, for young players to, uh, you know, pursue their dream. And, you know, the, the core group of our major league front office has actually been together a long, long time. And, and we all started as either coaches or area scouting supervisors. And so uh, providing players an opportunity to play professional baseball is a big, big deal for us. The draft is uh, a huge, a huge deal, an opportunity for us to select players and, and give them the opportunity to pursue what they've been pursuing their entire lives. And you know and I know and everybody on this call understands the special commitment it takes to be a high school player, a college player, a minor league player, and ultimately a major league player. And the commitment is enormous run fast, jump high, stronger than everybody else. Yeah, that helps. Uh, but that doesn't mean you're going to be successful in our game. It takes uh, – uh, you have to develop your skill uh, at such a high level uh, to allow you to play this game. And so we've just got so much great respect for all those that are that are pursuing this game because we understand the commitment it takes. And so uh, the reason I say all that I said is because in this role, I want to protect that that philosophy. And I want to make sure that, uh, you know, we're, we're operating within the rules, we're doing the right thing, but ultimately protecting that philosophy and giving players an, an, an opportunity to play. The game's the ultimate evaluator. And when you're playing the game uh, against the best talent level your peer group has to offer, that's naturally going to challenge you and, uh, and help you refine your skills uh, by playing the best of the best. And so, uh, we can ensure that we're doing that, but making sure we're selecting again those those players that uh, that absolutely love to play. Dayton, you know, uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, nuts and bolts of, of of the GM role. What what is your favorite? I mean, if you could break it down into four parts that you do as a GM, besides the character integrity part and representing the position well, what would you say are the four? nuts and bolts of your job as a, as a GM? Well, I, I think the, you know, the, the relationship that, um, that you must have with the manager and the owner uh, is so important. Now, every relationship is important. I mean, obviously, with all your, the, the different directors that, that ultimately report to you and you're responsible for and, and your baseball operations staff. But you've got to work extremely hard making sure that 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 relationship between the manager and the owner is one that uh, that exists in harmony. There's a lot of synergy, uh, lots of of communication because, you know, after a major league game, um, win or lose, there's a lot of emotion and there's a lot of uh, adrenaline flowing and, and uh, there's a timing element to everything that you do. Um, but in, in this position, in this role, uh, the owner is going to want to know the next day why the manager made a certain decision. And it's my responsibility to make sure that that's communicated appropriately. And so, you know, I'll have a lot of advanced conversations, whether it be with Ned Yost in the past or Mike Matheny and just say, look, I'm going to ask questions. Um, but a lot, I, I, and I, and I want to know, obviously, 
you know, what your thought process was. But the main reason I'm going to ask these questions is because I want to make sure that I communicate effectively with our owner uh, and, and make sure that he understands what that thought process is. And I've always encouraged our owners to make sure that they set with, you know, our managers at least once a week, uh, you know, one-on-one and, and have conversations with them. And, and then if, if we can get all three of us together to have heartfelt conversations about certain players or the direction of the club or how ownership can come alongside of us and, and support us in a, in a very meaningful way. And so, you know, I, I think that that's really so, so important. I mean, Butch, how many times do we see uh, in whatever professional sport it is, the owner will have a press conference and he'll be announcing the next general manager or the next manager or head coach or whatever the case may be. And they'll, they'll talk about how they just hired the most perfect guy uh, for, you know, this particular role. And then two to three years later, they're having another press conference announcing the firing of the person who was the most perfect person for the job two to three years ago. And when you ask and you analyze, you know, what happened, ultimately it usually comes down to there was distrust. And why was there distrust? Because it was a lack of communication. And, um, you know, there's a reason managers and coaches make decisions that they make. There's a reason that general managers make the decisions that they make. And I've found that if everybody had that exact same information that that manager and general manager had, you'd probably make the exact same decision. And so where signals get crossed, where relationships begin um, to erode, it's because of that lack of communication and that lack of transparency. Admit when you're wrong. It's okay to make mistakes. And if we're dead honest in this game, I mean, most of the decisions that we are making uh, don't turn out the way we expect. And the truth of the matter is, if you're not making mistakes, you're probably not aggressive enough in this game. But so how do you keep the relationship strong? Well, you have a relentless commitment to communicate and to share information. And so that's so vital in making sure that there's harmony within uh, those those areas of your organization. Dayton, I think you've always been an unbelievable communicator and probably a big part of the reason why you're in the position that you've been in and is, and had as much success as you had. What, when you're dealing with, you know, the parts that you deal with as a GM, how tough is it not to be a micromanager? Well, you know, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, as you mentioned, I grew up as a coach. I grew up as a scout. Uh, I've been fortunate to, as I mentioned before, I have great mentors. Um, I did international scouting for five and a half years. I was a, a player development director, uh, a personnel guy. And so I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to be in a lot of different roles. And, and, and that's helped me tremendously because in being in those roles, I always, um, I, I wanted information, I wanted feedback, but I was around uh, leaders that gave me the proper aut- autonomy to do the job and make decisions that were best for that particular department that I was leading at the time. And so I've always tried to give, whether it be J.J. Piccolo or Renee Francisco or Lonnie Goldberg, uh, uh, the, the, the proper autonomy to make decisions. And that doesn't mean we don't discuss things. Of course we do. And, and I, I want my voice heard uh, and I want to be able to ask questions and I, I need information and I want information. And why is that? Well, because the owner wants information and the owner asks a lot of questions. And so I have to be involved, but I'm, I've done this job long enough and the fact that I've benefited from being in some of the positions that I mentioned that I realized that when the, when the majority of the dysfunctional days occur, when you're having major dysfunction, it's when people are outside of, of their lane and you have people from above getting involved in areas that they shouldn't. Now, 
again, my job is to validate judgment, is to substantiate judgment. And you do that by asking questions and listening. Um, and, and again, that I'm fortunate enough to have been in some of, of these roles where I have an idea of what the processes are about, which allow me to ask the right questions and stimulate thought and to stimulate discussion and debate in certain rooms where decisions are made about players, whether it be in setting teams out of spring training, whether it be in the draft or signing players internationally. Uh, the fact that I've benefited from, from some of those roles and some of those great mentors. And of course, I work with some incredible people who um, understand that, um, you know, how important it is to get information and feedback from others when you make decisions. One of our, one of the guys that you and I worked with, a guy named Bob Wadsworth and, you know, Bob Wadsworth used to say it like this. He'd say, you know, there's 5% of the players you can't talk me into. And then there's 5% of the players you can't talk me out of. And it's those other 90% that I need input from a lot of people. We need transparent conversations. Uh, we got to utilize all the different evaluation resources we have to make decisions about those players. And uh, if, if we're doing that, we'll get them right at the end of the day. Nathan, can you go into, for, for the people on here today, you know, there's kids that are that aspire to be major leaguers. You know, there's coaches on here that want to, you know, are continually trying to move up and they're trying to make themselves better every day. Can you talk about the type of player that appeals to you for the Kansas City Royals that you would draft? Yeah, that, that's such a great question. You know, truth of the matter, Butch, and you know this, you, but you're you're one of the very best evaluators I've ever worked with and one of the most passionate people uh, that I've ever worked with and fighting for players. And, and, um, and nobody fought for players the way you did. And I always admired that about you. But in what you know and I know and, and many on this call know, it's really not that difficult to evaluate talent. We can line talent up and put it in categories and tiers pretty, pretty easily. I mean, we're not perfect, but we've been doing this long enough that we can pretty good evaluating talent. The challenge is trying to figure out what's inside the player, what's inside the player's heart and what's inside the player's head. And if you can ever get um, that head and that heart to line up together at the same time, why the ability, the athletic ability still is young and, and alive and at its peak. And now you've got a player it's definitely going to reach their ceiling no matter what that is. But the challenging part of it is just trying to find out the makeup. I call it the heart of the player. And because, um, you know, oftentimes we've never seen these players fail a lot and until we get them in the minor leagues. And then you really find out their true character and are, do they really love the game. See, a lot of players are passionate about the game. But what we know about passion, it's an emotion that often goes up and up or down based on how you're performing and, and how you're performing and what you're experiencing oftentimes affects your attitude. I know at 55 years old, I still deal with that. Um, sometimes my emotions are, are on my sleeve in ways that I wish simply were not there. But at, at the same time, we know that passion is an emotion. But see, love shows up every single day. And if you really love something, you never stop pursuing it. You never stop pursuing it, even though you're, you're getting kicked in the teeth a lot of days in this game. There's very few nights I put my head on the pillow and said, I just had the most perfect day in this game. Oftentimes, it's just simply not the case. I mean, you're, you're dealing with failure. You're managing setbacks. And, and you, you manage those in ways that are productive if you keep pursuing the game. And the only way you keep pursuing the game through all those setbacks is do you really, really love it? And that's where the scouting industry is so important. The scout who can really evaluate whether a player really loves the game of baseball. What is their pregame preparation like? What do they do off the field? How do they handle, you know, that 
that one for 30 stretch or that, that month where they haven't won a game um, and the team is losing? Uh, are, they, are, are they still pursuing this game? Because um, it, it's, it's very difficult to continue to pursue this game uh, when you're failing unless you really, really love it. Dane, can you talk about, uh, you know, the people on here would love to hear, and, you know, most of them, probably 90% of them never sat in the draft room. Uh, you sat in draft rooms every year. Can you give everybody an idea of what happens in a draft room, a draft board, how you guys line up players on ability, you know, with makeup, just what, everything that goes into a draft? Right. No, it's, you know, the draft is one of the – uh, the most special events um, within our industry. And, you know, I'm, I'm still to, to be very transparent with this group. I'm still trying to figure out why we have 20 rounds and minor league contraction. And because I, I just don't, I, I, that, that this things like that can't even enter my mind. Um, you know, we, we want the funnel to be wide. We want to give players opportunities because we all know that, they all develop in different stages. And really, there's not an easy way to predict when a player has finished developing. There really isn't. As long as they're healthy, and as I said before, their love, they, their love for the game remains and they're pursuing this game, it's impossible to fully predict when a player is, is finished developing. Okay, and so, But when we line a player up, we certainly look at um, the, the, the competition that they've played. Um, how they've performed against some of the best competition their peer group has to offer. Um, we look at, um, you know, th their body type is, is their growth into that body is their projection in, in that body. Um, and that's not as easy to predict as, as some might think it looks rather obvious uh, at times, but it, it's simply, uh, not as easy as you think. Where will the body hold up? And of course, we have so many different ways now to look at that. I mean, very few players, um, you know, that that are considered for the draft. We don't have, we, you know, we have expert medical information about that player. Um, you know, we line players up at times based on a realistic view of how they value themselves. You know, I, I'm sorry. Not every player is worth a million dollars. And be thankful that a lot of players you see in the major leagues today didn't get a million plus dollars because if they would have, it perhaps would have robbed them of their incentive to play. Because when you are awarded um, a, a lot of uh, money to play this game, unfortunately, you start pursuing luxuries out there that you didn't know existed. Um, and so we ask ourselves, is this player going to um, stay committed to the game when we give them a lot of money? Um, is this player going to, when this player has an injury or a setback, are they going to go through the rehab process in a way that's going to allow them to get back on the field? In fact, you know, I asked the question, especially of the pitchers that we have on the draft board. I'll ask our scouting director, Lonnie Goldberg, Danny Ontiveros, our, our regional supervisors, our area supervisors. And by the way, I view the area scouting supervisor is the most important part of the scouting staff. It's their job. It's their responsibility to put the organization in a position to draft the very best players in their area. And, and so they are so important for the organization and put us in that position to select the very best players, you know, from that particular area. But I I'll always ask the scouts when it pertains to pitchers, when this pitcher, unfortunately, uh, has an injury to their arm, are they going to be able to persevere through the, the mental challenges it takes, the inactivity, all of the repetition in the, um, the training room and the rehab process and everything you have to go through, are they going to be able to overcome that? Yes or no. And why? And you can say, well, that's a, how can you look at it that way? Well, John Smoltz, who's a friend of ours, 
Um, one of the very best athletes ever to pitch, multi-sport athlete, extremely strong, great mechanics, beautiful working arm, repeatable delivery. Well, he had arm surgeries and he had multiple arm surgeries. And that's just part of the game, unfortunately. So I'm not looking at it in a negative way, but I want to know what the makeup of the player is. Do they have that heart to play? And are they going to be able to overcome those negative situations? And with position players, are, are they going to go to bed at night? Are they going to put good things into their mind? Are they going to put good things into their body that's going to allow them to sleep well at night? Well, why is that important? Well, because the skills that it takes um, that you must develop to play this game, it takes a lot of time. And you got to do it every single day. Repetition, repetition, repetition. And so when we're lining players up, we're spending so much time, Butch, as you know, talking about makeup and what their character traits are, are about. Again, it's, it's pretty simple to line players up based on talent. Now, for and I, we've done it multiple ways in past years, but you know, currently we line up all of our high school players, our high school position players, and our high school pitchers. And we line up all of our college pitchers and all of our college position players. And then we will look to merge the two boards or the, the, the college and the high school guys together and put together maybe our top 100 or maybe our top 120. And usually those are the players that are probably going to go, you know, in the, in the first, you know, one to, to five to six rounds. Uh, it's, it's amazing how many of those players that you actually do get an opportunity to select. But a lot of times when that final board is put together, you are looking at the signability of the player. Do they really want to go out and play? Are they putting a realistic value on their ability? And when a player's telling you that they want $3 million, uh, or they're going to go uh, to college, they're simply probably telling you that, you know, I'm not ready to go out. Just say I'm not ready to go out and play right now. I would rather hear a player say, you know what, I think I need to go to college. Uh, I think my skills uh, and I think that um, where I am um, on a maturity level, maybe college is a better fit for me. Um, don't just say that I want a certain amount of money because you know what? Someone may give it to you. And then now you're forced with the decision. Are you now, what are you going to do? And you certainly don't want to go out and play for the money. I remember sitting in Adam Wainwright's house and we told Adam Wainwright at the time, if you're 99.9% sure that you want to sign a professional baseball contract, you better go to Georgia tech. Because professional baseball is the greatest challenge that you're ever going to be a part of. And you don't want to be disadvantaged mentally by going out and just playing for the money. You got to go out there and you got to be ready to compete every single day and give your best effort. And if you can do that, you will reach your ceiling and you will separate from most. And then those players that say, you know, I'm better off going to college. I, I want to go to college. My next question and our next question as an organization is, are you going to play? Well, I think I'm going to play. They're giving me a pretty good scholarship. No, have you done the proper analysis with that college's roster? And are you going to get an opportunity to play? Because in our game, you're not going to get better unless you're given the repetitions. And the, when you look at a 40-man roster, and you have analyzed that 40-man roster of a, major league, of a major league team, the beauty of it is there's players on those 40-man rosters that went to schools and junior colleges and NIA schools and Division II and Division III and mid-major colleges, and some of them are colleges and places nobody's ever heard of. And that's the beauty of our game. And I often think of those players that committed to go to these top high-end highly promoted and visible colleges that decided that this is where they were going to go and they didn't play. But what if they would have went to a junior college? What if they, what if they would have chosen a division three or a mid-major school and they would have got a chance to play every single day? They would be much, much better than that third year junior that, or that 
draft eligible sophomore that never ever played. They were they would have been so much better and much better position than going to some of these schools that they didn't get a chance to play or they had to transfer schools mid-year because they didn't get the opportunity. So again, it goes back to a realistic evaluation of self. And we look at that a great deal. Now we want confident players. We want players that are going to believe in themselves, but it's okay to express your fears. It's okay to say, you know what, am I good enough? Or what do I have to do? Or I'm not sure. And we, we have expert coaches and expert evaluators and expert behavioral science people that can help you overcome some of those fears. You should have a level of fear in playing this game. That's natural. That's one of the things that, that drives you. Now, we don't want you to be um, paralyzed by fear where you're not aggressive. I mean, that's, that's not necessarily a good thing, but it's okay to be a little fearful about where you stand in, where you, where you are as a player. Because if, you, if you're focused on just getting better each and every single day, Yes, you have to evaluate, but you're not focused on what the evaluation looks like for you as you compare to other players. You just want to be the best player that you can be, the best version of yourself. And when you focus on just being the best player that you can be, and, um, and then when you, you have to evaluate um, how you compare to other people, it's okay to ask that question of coaches and evaluators. That's a good thing, but don't be obsessed with it. Just go out and control what you can control. And that is your effort level, your concentration level, and your focus and your commitment to develop your skills the best you can. Dayton, how, um, that's great answer. I mean, this is gold, what you're giving us uh, and appreciate it. What, why is it that you have to get your first three draft picks right? Well, we all know, especially, and, we, and first of all, we never complain about our market. We never, we never um, make excuses for what we don't have in Kansas City, okay? We focus on what we do have, and but we also know that we have to get our players right because – the our bread and butter is built from within the draft or international signings. Uh, the majority of the players that make up our major league club are homegrown players. That's what we covet. That's what we try to do. Um, so we've got to grow our own talent and we're not going to be a team that is heavy into free agency. We simply just can't afford to play in that market. Plus I think we've all learned that it's a, it's a, it's a failed way to build your team anyway. Now you certainly have to supplement your team with major league free agents, but you don't want to be rely. You don't want to have to rely on major league free agents year in and year out. And so, you know, we, we all know that, um, you know, the, a lot of the high ceiling talent comes in the, the first three, first four rounds. And um, for, for us to, to be successful, especially at those, and we're going to focus on those premium positions because it's going to be impossible for us to probably trade for or sign uh, a player who plays a premium position who can also hit in the first four spots of the batting order. And so, and it's going to be very difficult for us to trade for a pitcher who's got a chance to be a frontline starter, a one or a two, one of those guys that will take the ball every fifth day and give you a chance to win the game and tilt the field in your favor. And so, you know, we, we've got it. We've got to get those guys right. And um, and so I've always felt that, you know, you can miss on talent, um, but you can't miss on makeup. No excuse for missing on makeup. Uh, when, when we get a player and we say that they love to play, that should be something that we can hang our hat on. And, uh, and, and who – what their character traits are like and what their habits are like and, and so forth. We, we shouldn't miss on that. There's too much good information out there right now for us to, um, to, to make sure we don't miss in those areas. And, you know, sometimes players are going to get hurt. 
um, and we can have the best medical evaluation out there. But, you know, injuries are unfortunately a part of the game. But when it comes to just, again, recognizing talent and, and identifying the makeup, uh, you know, we, we, shouldn't miss, we shouldn't miss in those areas. One last question about the draft, uh, Dayton, and being in the room. Um, as you know, uh, how big of a role has analytics become in your, in your draft room? Well, let me, let me say this. Butch, you never gave a, a presentation um, for a player that you were pounding the table for. There was never a player on my draft list or your draft list or any high-level competent scout where they didn't use statistics. Whatever statistics we had available to us to validate our judgment, we always use statistics as a part of our presentation. If you say that um, a, a player, a, a hitter is going to be a 60 hitter, a plus hitter. And you're going to back that up by, okay, well, he doesn't strike out, doesn't swing and miss, he doesn't chase, he takes his walks. I mean, that's been a part of this game for a long, long time. I, I think, and, 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 and that also being said, we've always used statistics, whatever statistics available to us to make, to maybe lead us to a player that maybe our eyes just simply aren't seen to look deeper, to go back and give second and third and fourth looks at times. If the statistics are so overwhelming and, and again, as I said earlier today, you know, the game earlier in this, in this program, the game is the ultimate evaluator. And if a player has success in the game, regardless of what you think the tools are, you've got to give that player credit there's a place for them in the draft and you give them an opportunity and they become guys like Whit Merrifield and others the guys that just know how to play the game and 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 Whit's a, a terrific athlete as well but you, you get the point there but I think that um, the the good scouts have always used whatever scientific data analytical information available to them but the great scouts identify the heart of the player the player's heart and their their desire to compete and their love to play can only be determined through somebody who is uh, an elite evaluator somebody who knows what a baseball player looks like but the one thing i know about you and and you are always really good with hitters marcus giles comes to to mind is a, a player who is an undersized player very strong, and he had hands to hit. Now, he was he might have been short, but he was strong. He had hands to hit. He had levers to hit, and he could center the ball in the bat in different areas of the strike zone. And, and he could drive the ball naturally other, the other way. You, you noticed things like that about the player. But what you, what you could also identify was a player that was fearless, and wasn't going to back down and wanted to face the best competition, the best pitcher. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't looking at the schedule and saying, I hope I don't get the ace of this particular staff when we play this. No, he wanted to face the best pitchers all the time because he knew that's what was going to make him the best hitter possible. And so the stats oftentimes don't tell you that. And, um, and in fact, I would say they don't. And so I think that we can be, we can rely too much on the analytical data. And I think it, there was a period of time in our game that we were. I think we're getting back to more of a balanced approach as an industry. Um, and, and the other thing that's helped a great deal, as we know, you know, we're, we're seeing the hitters face oftentimes the best pitching that their peer group has. I mean, we're seeing it through all the travel ball and the elite competition. It wasn't always that way. And so, you know, we always had to look ahead of the schedule and find out where the best matchups were so we could see the best, best pitchers against the best hitters and the best hitters against the best pitchers. And that's all, that's all great. But, you know, now we get a chance to see that more on a continuous basis than we ever did before. And so at the end of the day, it's all about one-on-one -on -one competition. Pitcher against hitter, hitter against pitcher. And who's going to battle? 
and who's not going to back down. And, and, you know, we don't expect, I mean, the one thing I would say for, for the players that are on here right now, you may be an elite hitter in your area, in your region, in this country. But when you face the best pitchers that your peer group has to offer, we understand most of the time you're going you're gonna to get beat and you may even get dominated because it's very difficult for a hitter to develop beyond the level of competition. You've got to face good pitching over and over and over so you can adjust appropriately. You've got to see high velocity on a continuous basis if you're going to hit it. You've got to see elite breaking pitches and off-speed stuff on a continuous basis if you're going to learn to recognize it. We understand that as evaluators. We don't expect you know, um, the best hitters in each draft to, to – actually you know to to be successful against the best pitchers but we do expect you to compete we expect you to get in there and and take a good pass don't be timid and and attack and um and conversely when a pitcher has a bad day um, you start getting hit are you going to start picking around the zone are you going to start trying to miss bats are you going to stay on the attack are you going to change the rhythm the cadence are you going to try to get a little creative? Um, you don't have your best stuff on this particular day, but are you going to back down? Because at the end of the day, there's no greater competition in the world than pitcher against hitter and hitter against pitcher. And analytics doesn't tell you anything about that. They'll tell you what the end result is, but it, they can't tell you who has that desire and that love and that ability to go out there and compete. You know, I want to get on to some other things now. We've talked about the draft and the, the stuff that you do, you know, as a GM. I want to talk about your son, Robert, a little bit. Um, I was lucky enough to get to see him play in the area code games. First of all, I couldn't believe that was your son. Um, the, the, I mean, incredible, plays with his hair on fire, a character guy, intense, plays with purpose. I mean, everything you want to see in a player. If he were the best player looking at you in the face when he's draft eligible, he's at Arkansas. I saw he had a 400 weekend uh, against Steve Holm, who was a guest on this show also. Um, Dayton, can you break down your son for us? Well, you know, it's I'm, I'm probably a little more tough on, on Robert um, than probably maybe some are. The, the one thing I would say is um, – he, he has um, just a, a great love to play. And um, he, he's always, always had that. Um, um, you know, it's um, like, like any player, um, you're going to have to hit. The position player, you're going to have to hit. And you're going to have to recognize pitches. And you're going to have to center the ball and square balls up in different areas of the strike zone. And, you know, he, he's got a feel for the, the barrel. Um, he's not afraid, you know, there's a, there's a fearless to, to how he plays, never been afraid to make mistakes. In fact, a lot of people would say that, you know, he plays too fast. He, he, um, he's got to slow things down a little bit and there, there, there's been some truth to that. And I think he's done a good job of, of managing that, um, uh, doing a better job with that through the years and staying more in control. But I'd rather have you play fast and and see what you're capable of doing and then try to speed things up. And so, um, you know, I've always um, admired that, you know, about about him, his fearlessness. But, of course, you know, Butch, he's, he's grown up in the game. He's seen a lot of really good players, and he knows how difficult this game is. And he knows you have a very small window of opportunity to play. Um, but, you know, the, the things that he does that are elite, um, you know, is um, really his awareness, his, his defensive, his, his hands and his feet have an elite um, uh, grade on them. And, uh, you know, that that's the one thing that, that I would say. And, and this, you know, if you're an infielder, you're going to play it with your feet. We all know that. Um, and, 
you know, if you're going to, to whether you be in the batter's box or even defensively, I mean, just the hand quickness is is a is a is an important tool that we often don't talk about. And uh, you know, he, he's got some of that, and and um, you know, tremendous balance. Um, if you want to be able to, um, you know, center the ball in the bat in different areas of the strike zone, as I've mentioned many times, you've got to have balance. You've got to be on your legs good. And, um, and so, you know, there's, that's some of the things, I mean, I didn't break him down um, maybe to the way you, you'd like me to, but you know, that's a, that's a tough thing for me to do. No, I, I understand that. Let me, let me ask you this. Okay. So with this show being a built, built around our families and kids and, and trying to help 13 to 18 year olds, you've seen, and you've been around for your son's journey to get to where he is now on you know, his, his first stop till he gets to the big leagues. What's advice that you could give our families, parents, while they're watching their sons, supporting their sons? We all know, we all love our kids, but it's, sometimes it's really tough not to say stuff. What's advice that you could give our families? Well, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've gotten emotional about things in the past. I've learned the hard way. Uh, and, and really, um, you know, the only thing I have to offer is my mistakes. And so I, you know, I remember, you know, um, talking to Rusty Kuntz one time who I've had the pleasure of work with, you know, for, for 20 plus years. And, you know, Rusty says, really, there's only two things your kids want to hear you say. They want to say, great job. They want to hear you say, great job. And I love watching you play. I love watching you play. Great job. Nice try. And so what I, what I found myself really over the last five or six years is really trying to understand when, when, when my son has had tough days, when he has had not so good days on the baseball field, um, that's my time to really step up. That's my time to really um, be in a support role to encourage them, um, to use it as an opportunity uh, to um, share uh, the respect we have for one another and to really uh, encourage him. And so, you know, one of the things that I think is so important to understand when our kids are struggling, whether it be on the football field, the basketball court, you know, the baseball diamond, whatever the case may be, that's their marriage crisis. That is their uh, demotion in their job. That is their issue of dealing with maybe an aging parent or a sick child. I mean, that is their, that's their, that's their crisis. That is their hardship. It's really, really important to them. And they want to do well for their teammates. They want to do well for their coaches. They want to do well for you. But that is their, their event in their life at that particular time, whether it be 8 to 12, 13 to 15, or 16 to 18. They're wanting to do well, and they're struggling. And that is their hardship in life. And so if, you were, if, if you're dealing with an aging parent, or a sick child, or a demotion in your job, or you're not getting promoted, do you want someone to come up and be highly critical of you? Or do you want someone to encourage you and support you? Because encouraging words, believing in somebody, that's what's going to motivate them. Tearing them down does not motivate them. Now, you can speak the truth in a highly positive and encouraging way. But if you ever want your child, your son or your daughter, to call you when they're 16 and they're at a party and maybe they've had too much to drink or the person they drove with had too much to drink, if you want them to call home and say, Mom, Dad, you know what, I need some help in this situation. Well, if they couldn't talk to you about their failures at a sporting event, they're probably not going to call home at 16 or 17 when maybe they've made an irresponsible decision or that first year of marriage when they're trying to figure out if they're really compatible with one another and, and they're trying to figure out how to 
to, to put someone else first in their life and to make a relationship work and to be a good forgiver, um, they're probably not going to call home and talk to you about some of those situations or if they're dealing with raising their own son or their own daughter someday. They're probably not going to call and discuss those things with you in a very transparent, meaningful way if they couldn't talk to you about what they were experiencing when they were playing youth baseball. And so we've got to look at what do we want the end game to be? And so I came to a realization that, you know what, really the only thing I want to have happen, I just want my son or my daughter to come home for Thanksgiving and Christmas someday and to be able to celebrate those important family occasions. And so there's a timeline for their sporting activities. There is an expiration date. Use it as an opportunity to simply help grow them as leaders. And when they're failing and having a tough time, you've got to be right there to encourage them, to tell them you believe in them and you're supporting them. Because once they feel that support, then they're going to start coming to you with questions and it's going to open up dialogue and communication that is going to last a lifetime. Incredible answer. Let's stay with college. Um, can you offer your insight into what college baseball has become as a developmental platform for major league baseball with both the reduction of Browns in the draft, as well as MILB teams? Well, I think it's always, you know, and, and, and you know, I'm a, I'm a product of the college game. So I've always believed that the college game has a lot to offer. Um, but I've also, you know, grown up in, in professional baseball and, and been in it now coming up on my, my 28th year and being in scout and player development. And, and so I believe greatly, you know, in the professional game as well and the opportunities that it provides and the number of repetitions. And, you know, college coaches in most schools, they're paid to win games. And coaches at the professional level, they're paid to make players better. They're evaluated on are they making players better they're not evaluated on wins and losses. And so it's two different environments. Now, I think both environments can be really, really, really good and they have their place. And, and I think that at times professional baseball needs to put a little more emphasis on, on winning games and creating better competition. And college baseball should be doing a much better job of, of development. But when you only have so many hours a week and you have a lot of players on your roster, uh, and you've got to win games, sometimes the development takes a back seat. And so I've always put it on the player. The player has to be responsible for your own development. Yes, you've got to work within uh, a college program and their system and their structure, and it's your obligation to do that. You're on scholarship. But you've got to, you've got to get there early. You've got to stay late. You've got to go above and beyond. You've got to, to get the, the necessary repetitions because a college coach isn't going to be able to be there all the time. You've got to look at your own video and study your own video. Don't let someone else break it down for you. Learn to break it down yourself. Find a person or two that has earned the right to speak into your life based on their experience, the trust level that you have with them and learn to uh, have them help you evaluate and, and make some proper adjustments. But you always have to do what your, your, your college coach tells you to do. They're your boss. You've got to work within that structure. But it's, it's taking on um, certainly a more meaningful role. I'm not sure how successful it's going to be at the end of the day. I can honestly tell you. The SEC, um, the Big 12, you know, the Pacific Coast Conference, it's not double-A baseball. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not. And so if anybody tells you that, you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time debating it with them, but it's just simply not. Um, now, you're going to see really good pitching uh, in those leagues, and you're going to see really good stuff at times on the weekend, but they're only throwing once a week. In professional baseball, they're throwing every fifth day, and so you're going to you're going to see um, more consistent arms, 
and you're going to see much, much better players. But at the end of the day, you, the college coach is going to want you – if you want to play college baseball, you've got to make sure that you, you can execute the fundamentals, you can get bunts down, you can, you can be fundamentally sound defensively, you throw to the right bases, you hit the cutoff man, um, you have an accurate throwing arm, um, because you've got to do things. You've got to run the base as well. You've got to be able to go first to third. You've got to be able to score from second base. That means you have to be uh, very fundamentally sound on your primary lead, your secondary lead. You're hitting the, you know, the, the front corner of the bag with your stride foot, the inside part of the base with your stride foot, preferably your right foot when you're rounding the bases. You've got to be able to do all these things fundamentally sound because ultimately you have to help that coach win games. That's what they are getting paid to do. And I understand that and I respect that. Um, and so you have to take an active role in your development above and beyond, you know, what you're getting because there is only so much time. And then you've got to factor in this. We just signed 26 players from around the world. Our international scouting department just signed 26 players. And they're already under contract. And they're at the Dominican. They're going to go to our Dominican Academy where we have two teams and they're playing darn near year round. And so the competition is really, really fierce. And that's why I go back to the character part of it all the time. Don't eliminate yourself based on your habits and your attitudes off the field, on the field, because you will eliminate yourself if your, your character reveals things in you that prove that you're not going to be a good teammate or you're, not, you're simply not going to make as good enough choices off the field um, to allow you to, to be on the field. Dave, let me ask you a question now that a lot of these people on this phone, uh, you know, I've never been a part of. Um, you know, you made – some unbelievable trades that led to getting players that helped you get to the world series two years in a row. Can you tell our people what you do when you're making a trade like that, the information that you're trying to get as a general manager? I remember uh, Mr. Sherholtz, you know, Dean Taylor would call you and bring you into a phone call. And then, you know, Mr. Sherholtz would, ask you for your opinion and the last thing he would say is gentlemen I appreciate your information for the Atlanta Braves now I'll make a decision do you do it the same way pretty much yeah and so the, the, it's it's impossible for me to make a decision without information in the following areas we have to have obviously a character evaluation. We have to have a statistical analysis. We have to have a scouting analysis, a medical analysis, and a financial analysis. In all those five areas, we get input before we make a trade. We sign a player. Um, we, um, you know, however we acquire that individual player. It, re it, re it requires information in all of those areas, and certainly we have department heads that are responsible for obtaining the necessary information. But, you know, but we, we love our players and, and I, I, I hate trading young talent. I really do. Um, and, and um, especially players that signed with us because every player that we bring into the organization, that scout must feel that they're going to help us win a championship. And we take that vision of that scout and we share it with player development and we come alongside that player and we do everything that we can to take that vision and develop that player based on the vision of the scout. We try not to focus so much on the player's weaknesses that now we want to improve upon them, but we want their strengths to remain strong and to build upon those strengths. There's very few five tool players out there or elite pitchers executing three to four pitches commanding those three to four pitches with a consistent delivery and a consistent arm slot and fielding their position and holding runners. There's no per There's very few guys. You can just say there's a perfect player. I'm not sure there is a perfect player. And so we want to make sure that we keep their strength strong, but 
you know, when, when you, and, and not work so much on their weaknesses that they lose their strengths. And we've seen that happen over and over again. We try not to, we try to work within the naturalness and the aggressiveness of the player. You don't want to take away that naturalness and that aggressiveness that they have. Um, you want to build upon that and work within the naturalness, what that player does well. But anytime that you're forced or you're faced with making a deal, and, you're, you, you, and it's part of the game. And it's healthy for the game because you want to put other players in a position where they can be in the major leagues sooner than later because there's a small window of opportunity, as we all know. But whenever you make a deal, you cannot be um, consumed with what you are giving up. You've got to be focused and consumed with the players that you're getting in return and how those players are blending in with your current major league team and helping you win games. Because if you focus on what you're giving up, most of the time you're going to be paralyzed in making the trade. And I remember talking to Adam Wainwright when we traded him for J.D. Drew. And Jason Marquis was a part of that as well. But Adam Wainwright was a Georgia kid. He was a big part of the future, as we all know. And I remember telling Adam this. I said, I said Adam, I know this is hurt. I know this hurts. And it hurts us too. Um, but I want you to understand this. Someday you're going to be in a major league clubhouse and you're going to appreciate that your general manager, Walt Jockety at the time, Walt Jockety is going to do everything in his power to make this major league club as strong as it possibly can. So those 25 guys at the time can win a, a world championship because it's a small window of opportunity. I know it hurts now. I know you don't appreciate it now, but someday you are going to appreciate that. And so we've always kind of looked at it from that lens. Um, but I also know this. You asked me the very first question, and the, the best way to answer the question you asked me, my number one role as a GM. And so I've always tried to never stop looking at this game from the eyes of my youth. Always look at this game from the eyes of the, your youth. Who introduced you to baseball? Why do you love baseball? And, and, and so if you never stop looking at this game from the eyes of your youth, I believe you're always going to protect it. And so, yes, trades are a part of the game, but you want to make sure you're executing trades that are ultimately best for the players. And when you look at it from that point of view, I, I think you'll do it in a very healthy way. Dayton, this has been an hour already. I want to ask you one more question if I can. I, mm -hmm. I unbelievable appreciate your time tonight. I'm sure the people that have been on here listening, this is this is like gold to them and to myself. The last question I have for you is this, Dayton. In your mind, what are the qualities that lead to successful people? Mm. Well, it's um, I mean, I think I think strong leadership begins and ends with putting others first. It's one of the most difficult things for any of us to do because our nature tells us to look out for self. Take care of me. You only have a small window of opportunity um, in life. And, and there's a lot of truth to that. I, I get that. But I think that the people that separate themselves truly have the ability to put everybody else's needs, wants, and desires first and their own needs and wants, desires second. And I think if you have the ability to do that, you'll always have the privilege to lead. You're always going to have value with wherever you are. I heard it said once that, and this applies to what we're experiencing right now in our game with this lockout. But I heard it said once that, if you want a great relationship, uh, you're going to need great forgivers. So if you want a great marriage, you're going to need two people that are great forgivers. If you want a great industry in baseball, once we get through this lockout, players are going to need to forgive owners and owners are going to have to forgive players and agents and all those involved with this decision-making. Because that's the key, I believe, to... Uh, to not being bitter, not getting burnt out, not quitting is that forgiveness piece. Whatever your experience in your life, whatever relationship needs to be mended, mend it, make it better, be a peacemaker, 
You don't have to be right all the time. You just need to be in harmony with relationship. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong, really, at the end of the day anyway. What matters is that you're working together and you're believing in one another. So I think forgiving, having the ability to forgive is so important. My faith allows me to do that. Um, it demands that I do that. And uh, when I'm when I'm in when I'm practicing that daily forgiveness, Butch, it just frees me up and um, and, and focuses on, you know, the most important things. And and that's the people that you're working with. Now, I must say um, very few. I, I, I've yet to live a perfect day. I find myself apologizing a lot. I find myself asking for forgiveness a lot. Um, I've, I find myself asking for grace. But, but whatever you want your team to look like, whatever you want your family to look like, whatever those character traits you want your family to have, your team to have, your community to have, your country to have, whatever you want those character traits to be, you must model them. So if you want generosity in your family and your team, you must be generous to your family and your team. If you want forgiveness in your team and your family, you must show forgiveness. If you want hard work and dedication, you as the leader must be one of the hardest workers and dedicated. If you want people that are going to compete for one another and put others first, if you want that type of environment, as the leader, you must do that. I mean, and so it's very simple principles. It doesn't take uh, an elite education at an elite Ivy League school to figure all this out. Compatibility is going to trump competence every single day. Now, you have to have a level of competence. I understand that. But the compatibility piece will always win over 162, over an entire year, over an entire lifetime. Working with people, relationship, putting others first, being a forgiver, those are the character traits that I think are so important. And as I said before, I've had great mentors, Butch, and you have as well, that have displayed that, have shown that to us. And so we have an incredible heart for this next generation. Baseball is the greatest sport in the world to grow leaders in so many ways. One, The lessons you learn in one game, one season, let alone an entire career, those lessons you learn in the game properly applied will prepare you for many aspects of leadership in life. Be a great brother, be a great son, grow up to be a great husband, grow up to be a, a great father. Those are the things that we need to use baseball for. Teach us those lessons that are going to allow us to be successful in those so important and vital areas that's going to make our country and our communities what we want for our children and our grandchildren. And baseball teaches us all that. Dayton, I just want to tell you thank you. It's been like wonderful listening to you. You're a great leader. I'm lucky enough that I got to work with you and get to know you, and your people skills are incredible. And just want to tell you I wish you the best of luck and the best of luck to your son and his journey. And thank you so much for being on here. Well, I appreciate it, Butch. I love you, and I love your heart, and, and thanks for everybody who joined us tonight. And, and just keep leading strong, and um, just proud of, of what everybody's doing to represent this game. We need good leaders out there. We need people who love it and do it right uh, so this game continues to be the best game in the world. Thank you, Dayton.